please go in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Si trajo su Biblia esta noche, le invito que vaya conmigo a Primera de Samuel, el capítulo 17, y vamos a comenzar ahí en el verso 22, más o menos. We're going to go into chapter 17 of 1 Kings, and we're going to begin at verse 22, uh, more or less reading quite a few uh, passages as we go along. We're going to stay in this chapter tonight. Vamos a permanecer en este capítulo esta noche. This is probably the best known story in the Old Testament, at least for children. Uh, and all of you, I'm sure, will be aware of it. Uh, it is often used in metaphor uh, and in reference to uh, the great being challenged by the small. It's the story of David and Goliath. You guys remember that story? Esta noche vamos a estudiar una de las historias más reconocidas, quizá la mejor reconocida en el Antiguo Testamento, especialmente para los niños. Y vamos a hablar de la historia de David peleando o conquistando a Goliath. We've been studying spiritual warfare. Hemos estado estudiando la guerra espiritual. And tonight what I want you to see out of this chapter is that this ancient story has relevance for you and me today, tomorrow, and until Jesus comes. Uh, it has relevance because God has specifically purposed each one of you to uh, victory and to have the ability to conquer in him and in Christ. And this is important because the challenges that you're going to face in life in order to accomplish that are going to be like this giant. It's also relevant to you because from time to time the enemy shows up at your front door to taunt you and to try to make you cower and to intimidate you into believing that you have lost before the battle has even begun. In either case, whether you're trying to achieve something new and great for God or whether you're trying to fight for your territory, I want you to pay close attention to this account tonight of this story. And rather than just go through the parts of the story tonight uh, that you're very familiar with, I want you to go with me into the details of the story. We're going to do a little bit of a Bible study tonight that's, that's the kind that you ought to uh, do when you're sitting at home with your Bible open and just go and look at what are the details of the text. Uh, we sometimes, when you hear a sermon, we fly over the text. And that's good. You get a good bird's eye view of things. Tonight, we're going to walk in the grass, all right? We're going to get down into the text and see what uh, the Word of God has for us in this passage. But let's begin at verse 22. If you found 1 Samuel, shout amen. All right. 1 Samuel chapter 17, Primera de Samuel, capítulo 17, verso 22. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking to them, behold, the champion of the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistine. And he spoke these same words, and David heard them. And when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen the man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. 
And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And David answered him in accordance with this word, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his older brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same thing as before. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail. On account of him, your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Verse 33, then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth while you have been a warrior from your youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and yet rescued it from his mouth. When he arose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine and Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Now let's go to verse 41. Then the Philistine came and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came to draw near to meet David. David ran quickly, took the battle line to meet the Philistine. 
David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the, the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And all the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley, the gate of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay along the way of Shephmir and Gath and Ekron. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word, which is living and powerful. We thank you because you have met us here by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And I ask you to anoint the hearing of this congregation that they might put this word into their life, not just for a collection of sermons, but for their living. We ask this in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Amen. Tell your neighbor, David was one bad boy. Tell your other neighbor, he was bad to the bone. Now tell him, you're not so bad yourself. What happened? Tell him, you're not so bad yourself. Some of you need some faith tonight. When you read this story, you just think, oh my, what an incredible story. Well, this story is our story, and it ought to be uh, our story a lot of times in our life. Cuando leemos la historia de David, nos impresiona que era un hombre impresionante, un hombre que aún a una edad joven, conquistó de una manera tan increíble que nos deja uh, pensando y eso es bueno, pero también debemos pensar que esto es nuestra historia. I want you to look at this, this story on three levels. First of all, it's a historical narrative. Primero esta historia, vamos a ver la historia en tres niveles. Primero es una, una narración histórica. That means that it actually happened in human history to somebody named David. Esto actualmente uh, ocurrió en la vida histórica de un hombre llamado David. This is not a legend. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a, um, a, a, an oral tradition. It is the inspired word of God. Uh, esto no es una, una leyenda o una historia solamente sino que es la palabra de Dios. There was a young man named David, and he killed a, guy, a, a giant named Goliath. Había un joven llamado David, y él uh, destruyó a un gigante llamado Goliath. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, I don't really believe that everything in the Bible actually happened. Well, uh, you might need to find another church, because around here we believe that the Bible says what actually happened. Say amen, somebody. We believe God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day. We believe that uh, 
Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. We believe that David killed Goliath. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And we believe that Jesus is coming back. And we believe the whole Bible from Genesis to the map. Say amen, somebody. At least the preacher does. Do you believe that? So we're talking about a real person here. Estamos hablando de una persona real. No estamos hablando de una leyenda. Y eso es importante. Porque a veces pensamos, bueno, es una, una historia bonita. Uh, and this is important because we're not just talking about a cool story. We're talking about things that happened in human history by people who allowed themselves to become the instrument of God. Estamos hablando de lo que pasa en la vida de la, del humano cuando se deja usar como instrumento de Dios. God is looking for somebody that he can use. Dios está buscando a alguien que él pueda usar. And so the story of David is, is beautiful and fascinating on this level in that uh, at the time of this text, David is a subject under the reign of King Saul. Al tiempo de este pasaje, David está sujeto al reinado del rey Saúl. Pero Dios ha rechazado a Saúl. God has rejected Saul because of his pride and because of his disobedience. He's taken the kingdom from him por su orgullo, por su desobediencia. Dios le ha quitado el reino a Saúl y Saúl no lo sabe. Saul, as of yet, has not realized that he does not have divine authority any longer. That God has actually replaced him. Saúl no ha entendido que Dios lo, ra, lo ha reemplazado. And that God has found himself a man. Que Dios uh, se ha encontrado un hombre que le teme y que tiene un corazón que lo busca a él. God has found himself a man that will love him, that fears him, and that has a heart that beats for God, a heart that is after God. I wonder tonight if there might be some Saul's in here, hopefully not, who think that everything's going just fine, but you've been, you've, uh, been blinded by, by pride or by arrogance or by disobedience to God, and tonight I want to just call you back and say, listen up, pay attention. Uh, if you are if you are wandering from God, if you're backslidden, if you're if you're thinking uh, I'm I'm okay, but you know in your heart that your relationship with God is cold and dead, then tonight is an opportunity for you to say, you know what? I'm going to turn back. I'm going to go back to God. I've got to seek the Lord while He may be found, because you know God is not going to be left without a man. God's not going to be left without an instrument. If you and I say no to him, before we even said no, God already had our replacement already set up and already in mind. So just uh, remember what the Bible says. Hold on. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. So that no one will take your place. Dice la Escritura, retén lo que tienes para que ninguno tome tu corona. Saúl no entiende que Dios ya lo reemplazó porque él se ha descuidado de Dios y, y ha puesto su atención, su afección y su orgullo adelante de Dios. And so God 
tells Samuel. And he, he, he calls Samuel and he says, I want you to go and I want you to anoint uh, this, this young man in this house of, of Jesse. Dios llama a Samuel le dice, vas a ir a ungir a este joven en la, en la casa de Jesse. Y cuando Samuel lo unge, when God, uh, when Samuel anoints David, uh, the Bible says that the, the Spirit of God came upon him from that day. Desde ese momento, el Espíritu de Dios vino sobre de David. And that is uh, an important detail for understanding the, this, this portion that I've read to you tonight. Ese es el detalle más importante para poder entender uh, este capítulo que hemos leído esta noche. El detalle es este, que David no peleó contra Goliat, sino porque era ungido de Dios. Here's the detail that matters. The most important thing about this fact, this, this passage I've read to you tonight, is that David conquered Goliath because he had been anointed by God to be king of Israel. The anointing that rested upon his life pushed him into something that perhaps uh, everybody else, and obviously everybody else was afraid of. But there was something on his life that made a difference. So that when everyone was running away, David was running toward the giant. When everyone was cowering, David was standing up and saying, something's going to be done about this, and something's going to be done about this today. And so, whereas Saul was rejected by God because of his pride, David was accepted by God and used by God because of his humility and because of his heart toward God. Listen, the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord go through to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking a man whose heart is fully his. Dice la Escritura que Dios, los ojos de Jehová, van buscando sobre toda la tierra un hombre cuyo corazón sea completamente para Dios. And David, in one of the Psalms, Psalm 108, he says, God, give me an undivided heart. Dice en el Salmo 108, David dice, dame un corazón sin divisiones. Say that with me tonight. Give me an undivided heart. Do you know, if you really look at it, if you look at all the strikes in Saul's life and all the strikes in David's life, there are actually more strikes in David's life than in Saul's life. There are actually more, more sins recorded, more devastating mistakes. Why then does the guy with all the strikes become the man we know and the guy with fewer strikes becomes the man that very few people know and those who know understand that he burned out and, and was just rejected by God? And I'll tell you why. Because God's not, not counting the strikes. God is looking for a heart that says, God, I have failed, I have sinned, but I'm going to follow you. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your mercy. And without you, I can't do this. I, and I can't go on. And David was that man. David knew how to sin, but he also knew how to repent. And Saul knew how to sin, and he also knew how to avoid repentance. He knew how to, how to talk himself into thinking that it was okay, that it was no big deal, that it was not a problem. I want you to notice that tonight and learn the difference. Because if you can cultivate David's heart 
Whenever you fail, you get up and you go back to the altar and you say, God, I have sinned. I messed up, but I, I repent. I pray that you'll put me under the blood, that you'll cover me, that you'll give me the, the righteousness that's been imputed by faith. And you realize that David was a man that walked in that knowledge. He walked in that assurance. God is gracious to those who repent. God is gracious to those who confess. God is gracious to those who understand that they are in desperate need of God. One of the, one of the richest psalms uh, that David ever wrote was at a time when he had sinned so grievously, he had committed adultery and murder. And the Bible says that he called out to God and he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and renew a willing spirit within me. Friends, God is ready. The Bible says he is ready to forgive. David's successes are owed to the fact that he understood that righteousness does not come based on what we have done, but it comes based upon the righteousness given to us by Christ and the righteousness given to us by the mercy and the grace of God. Listen, all of us in here tonight are here and we're right standing we're in right standing with God not on the basis of anything we've done but we're in right standing with God on the simple basis of this that Jesus died for our sins on the cross that his blood is made an atonement and we have put our faith in him and his blood has washed away our sins say amen somebody and God has no longer counted our sin against us say amen somebody this is the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's the basic difference between a life that ends like Saul's and a life that ends like David's. Because the Bible says all have sinned. All have fallen short. Everybody has missed the mark. What God is looking for is not somebody who has never sinned. He's looking for somebody who will humble themselves. And repent when they have sinned and receive his grace and receive his mercy. David was so passionate for the heart of God. He was so driven for the heart of God that when God, when God decided to put a man as king over Israel and ultimately uh, God not only decided to do that, but God decided to make his Messiah, his son, be an heir of the throne of David. He chose a man who was completely given to him, a man with an undivided heart. That means David didn't have part of his heart to serve Yahweh and another part of his heart to serve idols. He didn't have a part of his heart to serve God and another part of his heart to be mad at God about things that had gone wrong in his life. And David had a heart that was completely and, and totally devoted to God. And tonight, I want to encourage you to ask God to give you an undivided heart if you don't have one already. If you don't have a, a heart that completely belongs to God, then ask him to give you an undivided heart to take out the idols and to take out the, the, the things that are separating uh, your heart from its complete affection toward God. David tenía un corazón sin división, un corazón completamente 
completamente dedicado a la gloria y a la presencia de Dios. Y eso hizo toda la diferencia en David. That made all the difference in David. That his heart was pure toward God. And you say, Pastor, how can I keep my heart pure toward God? Usted dice, ¿cómo puedo mantener mi corazón puro ante Dios? And, and that's important because the Bible says, who can ascend into the hill of the Lord? He who has, who he, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Dice la Escritura, ¿quién puede subir al monte de Jehová? El que tiene, que tiene manos limpias y corazón puro. You say, how do I have a pure heart toward God? You go daily to God and you go daily to the blood of Jesus and you get cleansed and washed every day. Say amen, somebody. That's the only way to keep a pure heart. Is that when... when Uh, somebody offends you, you go to God and you put it under the blood. When somebody lets you down, you go to God and you put it under the blood. When somebody, um, when you have hurt somebody or you have offended somebody, you go to God and you, you, get it, you get it right. You make it right with God and right with that person. And you do that daily. It's the only way to have a pure heart is to come to God. You know what the enemy wants you to do? When your heart is, is divided, when it's impure, when there are things in there that are keeping you from God. The enemy wants to separate you from God. He wants to keep you as far away from God as possible so that your heart doesn't get healed, so it doesn't get cleansed, so it doesn't get right. And what comes in is sickness and disease into your soul. And so tonight I encourage you, every day go to God. Every day run to the blood. Every day say, Lord, forgive me. Every day say, Lord, I trust in your righteousness. Help me to walk in righteousness and in holy in my relationships and in the way that I treat other people and in the way that I live my life and in my thoughts and in my speech and in my actions. Nobody's saying amen, but I'm going to just keep preaching tonight because, because God is looking for people with a pure heart. But there are no people with pure hearts except those who've come to God to say, I need you to, to help me to forgive. I need you to help me to heal from this wound in my life. I need you to, to take this sin out of my life. I need you to forgive this, this thought process that I have been entertaining throughout this day. And when you do that on a daily basis, you find yourself in a place where you can grow and mature in your walk with God. David was obviously that man. That's the first layer of this passage, all right? The second layer of this passage is that David is a type of Jesus. Uh, la segunda uh, nivel de este, de este capítulo es que David es una, es una tipología de la persona de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. David represents what Jesus, uh, David does in, uh, in representative form what Jesus did at the cross. David hace en forma de representación con Goliat lo que Jesús hace en la cruz. So when you are studying David, cuando usted está estudiando a David, you're not just studying a historical person, but you're also studying Jesus. Cuando usted estudia a David, también está estudiando a Jesús. And let me just explain it to you real quick. Number one, Jesus is the anointed one. Número uno, Jesús es el ungido de Jehová. That means he is the, the one person that God has anointed as Savior and Messiah for the world. Jesús es el ungido de Dios, el cual Dios ha ungido 
como Mesías para el mundo. And uh, David was anointed for, uh, for his role and for his purpose, just as Jesus has been anointed by God, and there is no one else. Uh, the anointing that you and I need in order to be victorious can only be had by being in Christ. Jesús es el ungido de Jehová y la única manera de tener la unción que necesitamos para tener victoria en la vida es estar en Cristo. So David is the anointed of God. David es el ungido de Dios. Just as Jesus is the anointed of God. Then we see that David conquers Goliath by using Goliath's own sword. Luego vemos que David mata a Goliath usando su misma Espada. Uh, he knocked him down with the sling and the stone, but he killed him by cutting off his head. Uh, David mató a Goliat, uh, lo tumbó con la piedra, pero lo mató con su propia espada. David didn't have a sword, so when, when Goliath fell down, he took Goliath's sword, cut off his head with Goliath's own sword. Él uh, uh, le quitó la cabeza a Goliat usando su misma Espada, la, la espada de Goliath. What am I telling you about Jesus? Jesus went to the cross, and the book of Hebrews says that he defeated death by death itself. Dice la escritura que Jesús destruyó la muerte con la muerte misma. That tells us that Jesus destroyed death and the power of sin with its own weapon. Jesús destruyó la muerte y el poder del pecado con su propia uh, Herramienta, su propia espada. And the, the conquest of David at the, at the, uh, in, in the book of 1 Samuel is a picture of the fact that Jesus also came to conquer the Goliath that was standing in front of man. Jesús también vino para destruir el Goliath que estaba parado delante del de hombre. And the Goliath that was in front of you was sin. El, el Goliath delante del hombre es el pecado. There's no greater problem for man than sin. No hay peor problema para el hombre que el pecado. Y el poder de el pecado trae muerte. The Bible tells us that death, that, uh, that sin brings death. And death reigns because of sin. La muerte reina por el pecado. And that's why Jesus had to come. And he had to bring down sin. And the way he brought down sin was by dying on the cross. While he's dying on the cross, the devil thinks, I just, I just won a battle. I just took out uh, the Messiah. What he didn't realize was that he was the one being taken out. That he was the one being destroyed. Because Jesus conquered death. He conquered the hell. He, con he conquered hell. He conquered the grave. Say amen, somebody. He, did, he conquered the devil with the devil's own weapon. That's why you and I don't have to fear death because Jesus has already conquered death at the cross. Usted y yo no tenemos que uh, temer la muerte porque Jesús ya venció la muerte habiendo muerto en la cruz. You can't kill Jesus because he already died and he came back from the dead. Say amen, somebody. He is the risen Savior. And because he lives, you and I shall live. Porque Él vive, usted y yo también viviremos. That means if, if you and I die, uh, short of the rapture of the church, when, uh, when, when it's all wrapped up, you and I are going to come back from the dead. Say amen, somebody. And don't worry about it. You're not going to look like these mummies that you're hanging on people's doors 
uh, for Halloween, all right? You're going to be glorified. You're going to be better than you ever were. Say amen, somebody. Because Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has conquered the grave, and he's done it by death itself. And this is a, a powerful picture, then, that we have of Christ. We see the, the second layer of this, of this text. But now I want you to look at the third layer of the text, and that is that David represents the believer. He represents our life of spiritual warfare. Número tres, el nivel número tres de este texto es que David representa a usted, lo representa al creyente, representa la vida de la guerra espiritual del creyente. And so tonight I want us to look at that level in the minutes that we have left. Quiero que usted y yo estudiemos esto en los minutos que tenemos esta noche because you're going to have some giants to face. If you're going to do anything great for God, you're going to have some giants to face. Si usted va a hacer algo grande para Dios, usted va a tener un gigante o tener gigantes en su vida. How many of you have some giants you're facing right now? So guess what? You need to know how David conquered Goliath. Si usted tiene gigantes en su vida hoy, usted debe entender cómo es que David conquistó a Goliath. First thing I want you to notice is right here in verse 23, it says that David comes onto the battlefield. David llega a la, al, al campo de batalla. And if you don't remember, the reason he's there is because his father sent him to take some supplies to his brothers. El padre de David lo había enviado a llevar algunas, alguna comida para sus hermanos. So David is, is carrying out this, this uh, task as a, an errand boy. David está uh, cumpliendo con este propósito, uh, siendo una, uno que va a traer uh, herramienta o va a traer comida para sus hermanos. And verse 23 tells us, it says, as he was talking with them, behold, the champion of the Philistines from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines. Mientras David está ahí y está hablando, es joven, él está preguntando uh, cómo les ha ido, qué han visto. You know, he's probably having those same conversations that any young person would ask. And while he's talking, the giant shows up in the battle. Cuando él está hablando, el gigante se aparece en esa batalla. So I want you to tell your neighbor, nothing just happens. Yo quiero que usted entienda esto. Nada Pasa por nada. You think it's a coincidence that Goliath showed up right when David was there? ¿Será coincidencia que Goliath llega al momento que David está ahí? You see, from, from the perspective of man, you might say, well, it was just a coincidence that David happened to be there when Goliath showed up. Quizá usted diga, bueno, es coincidencia que David haya llegado o que el gigante haya llegado ahí mientras David está ahí. But I want you to realize this. When God is writing the story of your life, nothing just happens. Cuando Dios es el autor de la historia de su vida, las cosas no pasan por nada. Goliath is there by appointment. David, uh, perdón, Goliath está ahí 
por una cita determinada por Dios. Listen, David has a mission on his life, a purpose on his life from God. And what happens many times is the giants show up in our life and we run and we hide and we cry and we say, why me, why now, why this? Maybe it's God scheduled that giant so that you can knock him down and give God the glory. Say amen, somebody. Porque a veces cuando llega el gigante a nuestra vida, nos ponemos a llorar. ¿Por qué a mí me pasa esto? ¿Y por qué ahora? Y, y siempre soy yo el que tengo que batallar con estas cosas. En vez de pensar que si el gigante está ahí, es porque Dios lo permitió. Y si Dios lo permitió, es para que, para que Él reciba gloria de mi vida y para que yo tenga la victoria. You have to think, if God allowed this giant to show up in my life just when he did, it's so that God gets glory and I get the help that I need. Come on, somebody. And, and David now is going to have an opportunity to respond to a situation that he did not create, but that's going to create for him a place, a platform for the glory of God. Ahora David tiene una plataforma para la gloria de Dios. I just want to challenge you to think of your problems and your setbacks as a platform for the glory of God. Quiero animarle a que usted vea los, los problemas que usted tiene en su vida como una plataforma para la gloria de Dios. If you, if you heard what I read, just before David kills that giant, what did he say? He said, God is going to give you into my hands today so that the world will know that there is a God in Israel. What does David want? What's he after? He wants God's glory. He wants God's fame. He wants Yahweh to be known around the nations and, and for Yahweh to be known as the God who abides in Israel. And friends, when, you're, when your life is lived in that understanding, God's going to get glory out of this. God's going to get glory out of this. The devil may think that he's... Scoring some runs right now. But God's going to get glory out of this. David has to respond in faith. If you're taking notes, write that down. Respond in faith. David tiene que responder en fe. Giants will show up in your life. And instead of you seeing them as, as the, uh, the obstacle to your comfort and the obstacle to your Uh, enjoyment of life, you need to see them as the gateway to the next level of what God wants to do in your life. Because listen, what God wants to do next is on the other side of that giant. Lo que Dios quiere hacer próximamente en tu vida está al otro lado de un gigante. So unless you face the giant you've got right now, you're never going to see the next level. There is no pass go. There is no shortcut. There is no back door. You're going to have to face that giant. No hay manera de ir al nivel donde Dios te quiere llevar si no confrontas el gigante que está delante de ti. So tonight you've got to make a decision. Am I going to face this thing or am I going to let it intimidate me 
and, and make me cower and run away and hide. And, and if you decide, I'm going to face this thing, I want you to know God is standing beside you. You see, David is confident because he's been anointed by God. David es, eh, tiene confianza porque él ha sido ungido de parte de Dios. And I want you to listen now to the words that come out of his mouth. Because this is how faith responds. Faith always says something. La fe siempre habla. All right? The flesh always says something too. So don't get me wrong, okay? Our mouth is usually engaged in, in this. But when faith is at work, faith speaks what it believes. And David's first question when he sees the giant is, what's going to happen to the guy that kills him? He's already thinking about the prize. He's already thinking about the reward. He's already thinking about, about what God's going to bring into his life as a result of facing this giant. That's the way faith faces giants and challenges that come into our life is what is on the other side of this. Cuando David es confrontado por esto, él dice, lo primero que sale de su boca es que irá a ser el rey con el que mate a este gigante. Ya él está pensando en ganar. He's already thinking of the victory. He's already thinking about the prize, the, the trophy, the reward. Él ya está pensando en la victoria. Tonight, let me just ask you a question. What are you thinking about tonight? Are you thinking about defeat or are you thinking about victory? Are you thinking about picking up the pieces and the aftermath of the disaster that's about to come into your life? Or are you planning for victory? Because listen, if you're a child of God, if your heart belongs to God, you've been anointed by the Spirit of God, victory's in your future. Say amen, somebody. And if you will, if you will respond, listen, David responds to this situation in faith. You know there's a difference between responding and reacting? Reacting is usually the first thing that comes to mind. Responding takes a little time. Make sure I get the right decision. I just gave you a life lesson right there. You could save a whole lot of heartache if you'll just learn that one right there. Because a, a lot of people know how to react And, and sometimes you're living with the consequences of reactions instead of responses. A reaction is gut. It's what, what my first instinct. Response is when you take a step back and you say, Lord, what do I do? The reactor speaks first. The responder usually waits for everybody to speak and then has something to say. David is responding to this situation And he's doing so in faith. Now you have the opportunity or you have the, the uh, decision, the choice. Am I going to respond in faith or am I going to respond in fear? Am I going to respond in I can't and I won't and I'm already defeated. It's already over. I, I'm not going to be able to succeed. David's immediate thought is victory. I pray that that be your 
the way, you, the way you think for the rest of your life, that your immediate thought be victory. Every time you face anything in this life, that your immediate thought be victory. That it be, if God be for me, who can be against me? I can't lose. Come on, somebody. You can't lose. God is with you. Su pensamiento inicial es la victoria. Now, the, the second part of this response of faith is that David is going to have to, he's going to have to tune out certain voices. David va a tener que cerrar varias voces en su vida. How many of you know what a mute button is? You know, there's some people in your life you got to put on mute. You say, Pastor, there's no way. Now, I don't mean you, you tell them to shut up, all right? I don't mean that. I mean, you just stop listening to them. I don't mean you stop hearing them. You're going to hear them. But you don't have to listen to them. They don't have to define your feelings. They don't have to define how you think of yourself. There are three voices in this text I'll point out real quick that David has to overcome. First of all, there's the voice of his brother. His, bro his older brother, Eliab, says to him, listen to the accusation of Eliab. He says, uh, uh, he says to him, I know the insolence of your heart. I know, basically he's telling him, I know you're a prideful boy. And then he accuses him of neglecting his responsibility. He says, what have you done with those few sheep out in the wilderness? Who'd you leave them with? And so this first voice is the voice of accusation. Listen, friends, anytime you have to face a giant, there's going to be a voice of accusation. And you, when, when you hear the voice of accusation, You've got to go back to what I told you about this before. When you understand the righteousness of Christ, when you understand that you have been given the, the, the free gift of righteousness because of faith in Jesus, the accuser no longer has any power over you. Listen, when mom and dad know everything you did, it doesn't matter what your brother says, right? Well, look what he did. I already know that. It's under the blood. It's gone. It's been dealt with. Listen, God, when you confess your sin to God, he puts it under the blood. The devil can rant and rave and point and say, look, 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 look. God doesn't care one, one cent about that because it's under the blood. Say amen, somebody. But you've got to overcome the voice of the accuser in your life. And, you know, some of, some of us, the biggest accuser we have to face is us. You have, you have sold yourself short, and you have defined yourself by your failures, by your past, and you told yourself you cannot be anything, you'll never succeed, that you can't, that you can't overcome, that this is the end, and tonight I want you to put the, the accuser on mute. You can do that by the power of the Spirit. And just say, I'm not going to listen to this anymore. You know, I deal with the voice of the accuser. I tell you the story about... Uh, I guess now, let's see, about five years ago, uh, we were remodeling this sanctuary, and we remodeled this sanctuary in six weeks. Uh, we, we 
invested $50,000, I think, in the remodeling of the church at that time. And we did it with four offerings. We didn't sell a single chicken. We didn't sell a single tamal. You guys remember that? Well, guess who showed up? Because here we were slaying the giant. And guess who showed up? The enemy showed up. He started accusing me. And, and it was the dumbest accusation ever. Who do you think you are? Some churches can't even keep their light bill paid. And here you are remodeling. And here you are in the middle of a revival. And this should not have gotten into my, into my bloodstream. But it was so consistent, so nagging. And I guess I just didn't put it on mute enough that it started to bother me. Now, if you really just stop and think about the accusation, it's so irrelevant. It shouldn't take one second to dismiss. But if you give it a minute, it sounds like the strongest argument ever made before the Supreme Court. And, and the enemy was doing what Eliab was doing. I know the pride of your heart. I know you only want to kill that giant because you want everybody to be talking about how great you are. And I came into the sanctuary. Uh, we, had, we had not brought the pulpit in. It was the night before we were going to, we were going to uh, reveal the, the remodeling. And I brought the, the pulpit into the sanctuary by myself. It's quite heavy. So it was on a, on a dolly. I rolled it in, hoisted it up onto that spot, dedicated the, tap, the, the pulpit, one light on here in the sanctuary. And I sat right here in this spot. Or pardon, I, I, first I knelt down and I said, Lord, this is what the accuser has been saying to me. And I put it before God. Listen, if you're having a hard time with muting the accuser, go to the judge. I said, this is what he's saying. I laid it on the altar then I sat down right there and I began to sing. And as I was singing the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, the, the voice of the Lord came to me. And he said, Isaac, when I give you favor, wear it. Never be ashamed of my favor. And then he said, and anyone who wants your spring, talking about Kingsway Church, anyone who wants your spring must first endure your winter. You see, the enemy wanted to accuse me, but what he had left out conveniently of the story was that this church had been through a long winter. That it had, that it had gone through a cold season when it seemed like the seed lay dormant and forgotten in the ground. But you see, no season ever lasted forever. And God had given to Kingsway Church a springtime and a harvest time that was the gracious gift of God toward people who had been faithful, who had endured, who had said, I'm not going anywhere. This is where God called me to be. And, and when you look at it from God's perspective and you realize the accuser is trying to rob me of my victory. Because you see, David has an opportunity here to go home and say, yeah, well, my brother, he's probably right. I probably do have bad motives. I probably don't have what it takes 
But he's got to decide, I've got to tune out that voice. Because if I don't tune out that voice, it's going to keep me out of my victory. It's going to keep me out of my triumph. It's going to keep me out of conquering. And don't let anything tonight, especially not the voice of a liar, keep you out of where God has already decided for you to be. Come on. You ought to get excited tonight because God has already decided to give you the victory. The next voice was the voice of the king. King Saul said to David, verse 33, you are not able. You can't do it. I kind of like it when people tell me I can't. When we started remodeling the sanctuary, I said, we're remodeling the sanctuary in six weeks. They said, you can't. This was coming from carpenters, so they knew. They knew that you couldn't, but I didn't know you couldn't. <laughs> and it got done. And, and you've got to make up your mind. I'm not going to let somebody else who's not God tell me what I can't, what I can't accomplish, what I can't overcome, what I can't survive, what I can't be. Where I can't go, how I can't serve the Lord. You have what God has given to you. God gave it to you. And he says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Say amen if you believe that. I'll close with this one. The giant, the voice of the giant said to him, or the Bible says that he disdained him. That means... He esteemed him too low. And you have to deal with this voice also. This voice that esteems what God can do in your life too low. And that voice often is your own heart telling you what can't be done. Telling you what you're not worthy of. God tonight wants to put all those voices on mute. He wants you to hear his voice that says, I have called you. I have anointed you. I have equipped you. I have empowered you. I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross for you, to give you righteousness that is not of your own, so that you can stand up and face every giant and every challenge and know that the victory belongs to those who seek God with an undivided heart and that that victory can be yours not just once, but every single time a giant shows up in your life that you can have victory. Shout amen if you believe it. Let's stand together tonight. It's time to slay some giants. It's time to face some fears. It's time to confront the thing that's been confronting you. This message is intended to move somebody forward tonight. Because instead of reacting, you need to start responding in faith. And instead of just defending what you have, God has desired for you to take something new. To possess the land that he has given you. You only possess it by faith. Come on, let's lift our hands to heaven. Just start by saying, God, give me an undivided heart. And if you've sinned, repent tonight.
And just say, Lord, give me the ability to face this season of my life, to face this challenge in my life, to go against the giant that's standing in front of me because of the anointing of the Spirit that's upon my life. Come on, you got to open your mouth because faith speaks. Faith speaks. Faith is so powerful that when you speak, you can be saved. The Bible says if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. That's how powerful faith is in your mouth. Speak the word. Speak life to your life. Speak victory to your life. Challenge your life tonight. Challenge those giants that are standing in front of you. What are you going to allow to keep you out? What are you going to allow to talk you out of the victories that God has for you? You haven't fought this much and come this far to lose. God is greater. God is bigger. God is for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for a boldness to rise up in the heart of your church. To face that demonic power that has been afflicting their homes and their families. To silence every voice that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. For you said that every tongue that rises up against us in judgment, we would condemn. We speak faith now. We speak victory now. The giant will fall.